Here's Mike Gill. You know, uh, a week from today, it's Christmas. Did you get snow? Yes, I did. did a, you? a lot of it. A lot? Yeah, like when I went home, the backyard was covered. Couldn't even let the dog out because his feet get soaked and all this. We put boots on him, and he's one of those dogs where you put the boots on. They don't know how to walk, so they look silly. Put it out on Twitter. Yeah, no snow down here. Yeah, it was weird. I was working with Josh pouring rain as I was driving back home. You could see a transition from just the rain down here to more of the snow. I don't feel bad about it because I hate the snow. I know, and I felt like I put out a tweet, and I, I wasn't subtweeting you, but it worked out kind of that way where I said, if you don't like snow... You're an idiot. I don't like it. I know. Yep, I'm out <laughs> on snow. But but that has nothing to do with, you know, this, you, you, you know, you being that. This hour is brought to you by Extreme Air Duct Cleaning. Visit them online, extremeairductcleaning.com. If you really know if your air in your home is clean, check them out. To find out if it is at extremeairductcleaning.com. Paul Hudrick covers the 76ers, 97.3 ESPN.com. Sixers tonight, top of the hour, right here on 97.3 ESPN. Let's get the latest as uh, rumors, rumors, rumors. I don't know, Paul. i got to get your take on this. You've covered this team the last couple of years. You've got sources. You've got things going on inside that organization. When you get guys as credible as Shams and Woj and Ramona reporting the same thing, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, this cat-and-mouse game begins. Well, the Sixers say, no, we're not trading Ben, but... I have a hard time saying that I don't trust those guys' sources. What, where, where do you stand on where this whole Ben Simmons, James Harden thing is right now, an hour from the final preseason game? There is an awful lot of smoke. Uh, I mean, and it's been even before last night, which was maybe the most smoke we've seen, but there's been a lot of smoke with James Harden and the Sixers. So, uh, and like you said, I mean, these are these are the most reputable of the reputable reporters that are reporting this. So you have to think there is something there. Um, yeah, and the Sixers, obviously, Darren Mori put out you know a statement. He would not be the first GM in history to say that they're not trading a player and then trade a player. That happens all the time. Uh, not to say that you know that means anything either way. So I would say don't look too far into that. Mori said he's not trading him, so he's definitely not because that's. That's what GMs have to do because they have to keep their leverage. Uh, there's been a lot flying around, obviously, and it seems like, to me, at least from what I'm reading from the, you know, from the tea leaves I'm trying to read, is that Daryl Morey is not in a hurry to do anything, um, and nor should he be because he's got a brand-new coach. He's got new players. He's got players that surround his two stars much better than the previous roster did. So why not let this play out? Uh, I mean, right now – Right now, Houston holds leverage because of the fact that James Harden has reported to camp. You know, they, they played last night, and he looked pretty good, and the team looked pretty good with him. And, you know, he, he's going to listen to the new coach. And, you know, he's still under contract for a couple more years. So, you know, the, the Rockets hold the leverage in that sense. So if you're Daryl Morey, why are you in a hurry? Um, you know, why are you in a hurry to, to, to move on from a, a, a Ben Simmons, who is an all-star player, you know, all-NBA defensive player, all-NBA 13th player. Like, why are you going to be in a hurry to get rid of a guy like that when you, you know, so to the, to the extent I think that the deal is, like, both sides kind of have leverage in a way. You know what I mean? I mean, the, the Rockets have leverage in that James Harden's under contract. The Sixers have leverage in that Ben Simmons is under contract for even longer. He's younger, and he's still an all-star caliber player, and you have a new roster and a new coach. So, uh, I mean, it, it's one of those deals where it wouldn't shock me if something happened soon, but – 
it also would shock me if this lingers on because, like I said, Daryl Morey doesn't appear to be in a hurry, and I don't think he needs to be. What did Doc say about it when he spoke a half hour ago? So he didn't reveal too much. Uh, I mean, kind of reiterated what he said before in the sense that the rumors aren't coming from their side with their team. He did mention that he called Ben Simmons last night uh, just just to gauge where he was, just to see kind of where he was. He didn't want to reveal the details of that conversation, but he did say he reached out. You know, and I think that's going to be the stance from Doc Omar. I think Doc is going to be he's going to say all the right things as far as he likes he has, which I, I would imagine is actually true. Um, uh, he wouldn't have come here if he didn't like the team that, that he has right now. So uh, I, you know, I, I think that's going to continue to be his stance is that he's going to continue to show support for Ben Simmons. Is going to want to coach Ben Simmons and and Joel Embiid and see what he can get out of those guys. Something that stood out to me in Woj's tweet, he said, when it comes to the Sixers, they have signaled a willingness to include all-star guard Ben Simmons in trade packages for Harden. Those talks have come nowhere close to a deal. In what world would Ben Simmons not allow this conversation to be somewhat close to a deal? Yeah, that's what I tweeted last night, too. I mean, if to me, if you're the Houston Rockets and Ben Simmons is on the table— I like if I'm Raphael Stone, I don't let Daryl Morey off the phone until we figure out a package to make it work. Because there, let's be, as we talked about a couple of times, what is the package that they could get that would be better than Ben Simmons plus anything right now? I mean, you could, you know, if, if Miami had interest, which it doesn't seem like they do, maybe there's a Tyler Hero package that looks that looks, you know, even that I wouldn't say is as good. You know, Ben Simmons again. This is a guy who's a multiple-time All-Star, an all-defensive player, you know, type caliber player, defensive player of the year type candidate. So, you know, he's, those guys don't grow on trees, especially he's 24 years old and he's under contract. He can't go anywhere for five years. His, his extension just kicked in. So when you factor in all of that, yeah, if I'm, I would be – it's puzzling to me that, that, that if he were on the table, why Houston wouldn't have found a way to make it work. Um, unless literally the Sixers say, okay, we'll do it if it's straight up, and that's it. That's the only way we would do it. But even that, to me, that's not a loss for Houston to get, again, an all-star in their prime. I, I get how good James Harden is. I get how, I should say, great. He's a great offensive basketball player. But, yeah, again, it just goes back to me that, you know, the Sixers aren't going to give Ben Simmons away, and the Rockets aren't going to give James Harden away. So I think it's kind of – that's to me is, is the disconnect and, and why there's kind of an impasse. Yeah, and, and Paul, I mean, the we have a poll up. I mean, seventy nine percent of people out there now. This doesn't mean anything, but wouldn't even trade Simmons straight up for Harden. So the fact that there's reports that it starts with Simmons and three picks. I mean, how do how do you kind of weigh? What you're willing to, how far you're willing to go to give up Ben Simmons? I mean, most people are saying I wouldn't even give up just Ben Simmons, let alone three picks and more. Yeah, I, I mean, if, if I'm being honest with you, if, if the Rockets called today and said we'll do James Harden for Ben Simmons straight up, I would probably do that, um, just because of the fit and just because of, just because of how you know, if you put James Harden and Joel Embiid together, you are a championship contender tomorrow. Uh, especially, again, with the roster that they have. I mean, you are. You are a championship. You are challenging for that top seed in the East, and you are a championship-caliber team, which you want to be protecting the rim and and, and you know and scoring down low, and then James Harden just creating outside and not creating just for himself. I mean, let's be this guy averaged you know over 11 assists a couple of years ago. I mean, this is a guy who creates for others as well. So, 
to to add a guy like that, it, it's if I think for the Sixers, right? If you require James Harden for Ben Simmons, the reason you're doing that is you want to accelerate the window. You want to try to win right now. The reason you don't do it straight up would be because you want to see the long-term prospects, kind of what I alluded to earlier, that you want to see how it plays out with Doc Rivers, with, you know, with those guys surrounded by Seth Curry and Danny Green and other shooters. You want to see how that plays out. But, yeah, I mean, to me, if, if it's a straight-up deal, I, I would take it. But, yeah, if, uh, Ben Simmons and three first-round picks, no, I, I wouldn't do that. That's too steep. So there, there's got to be – there's something in the middle there that maybe works for both sides. Um, but, yeah, I think if, you, if you're saying to yourself, I wouldn't do it straight up for, for Ben Simmons, for James Harden, I don't think you are – and I get it, some of the stuff with James Harden, some of the culture stuff and all that, but when you if you actually watch James Harden play and how dominant he is on the offensive side of the ball, I, I, I would do that trade, absolutely. How do you think that this impacts Ben's relationship with the organization? He's probably thinking similar things to us, you know, like, hey, where there's smoke, there's fire. What if they end up not moving on from Ben Simmons, and then he's got to sit in this organization knowing they might have tried to pull something behind my back? Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, if you're, you also have to look at it from Ben Simmons, like, if, if that's the way he's looking at it, is he's saying, like, oh, man, like, they might be willing to trade me. Listen, they're look. They might be willing to trade you for a guy who is the MVP of the league. So that shows you where your value is and how you're valued around the league. So I, I, I personally don't think Ben Simmons is going to lose any sleep over this. I think he's the kind of guy too who's good at kind of blocking out stuff and will just kind of go on his way and play. And I, I think that was where you know the Doc Rivers conversation that he had with him just to gauge where he is. If I had to guess, just from covering Ben Simmons and being around him a little bit. I would say he's kind of like this kind of stuff I don't think is bothers a guy like him. I think he's going to put his head down and I think he's going to play and I think he's going to play hard and I think he's going to play to win. So I'm maybe not as worried as some, some other people are uh, at that, you know, the whole mental psyche aspect of it. Um, because I think Ben Simmons is the kind of guy who's self-motivated and who's going to play hard and he's going to play the right way and it's going to try to win. Paul Hudrick covers the Sixers, 97.3 ESPN.com, at Paul Hudrick. Get his Sixers coverage all season long. And, Paul, let's talk about that. You brought up a point. You know, if you're trading Ben Simmons um, for James Harden, what's the organization's thought is, we want to win immediately. We want to win now. Ben Simmons, I guess, it's a longer view, right? I mean, we might not be ready to win this year, but we think we can win more maybe two, three, four years down the road. Because James Harden, you're only getting for possibly three more years. Oh, absolutely. That's what it is. You're, you're, you're going – if you make that trade, if you trade any type of package where you're dealing Ben Simmons and you're taking on James Harden, you, that is a signal that you want to win right now. And that ups the pressure and the ante on everybody in the organization if you make that move. Because that's what it, it, it 100% signifies. We're coming for a title. Um, but yeah, and then and that's why it's so tough to balance because it, as much as that's true, yeah. It, but if you keep Ben Simmons, that's not it's not the worst thing in the world because then you're gonna you have the potential to be better long term because you have Ben Simmons on the contract and you hope that he ascends and he gets better and better. And again, with the roster you built, that that seems to fit his his skill set much better. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe maybe you're not ready to win a championship this year, but maybe next year. And you know, there's other. And let's be real too. There's other moves that Hamori can make beyond that. You know, uh, in the meantime, that may, maybe you know that will improve the team either this season or maybe there's a move in the off season. 
Daryl Morey's really good at moving money around. He's really good at getting, like, look what he did with Al Horford and, and getting rid of that contract and getting Danny Green, who is a useful player, but is also on an expiring deal. So he's good at maneuvering contracts and finding ways to get, you know, creative ways to get guys in here. So, yeah, maybe your, your championship window isn't this season if you stay pat and, and you don't go after James Harden, but maybe it's, Maybe that championship window kicks into high gear next year if you make kind of a big off-season acquisition while keeping Ben Simmons. Uh, all right, let's look at what's tonight and then uh, coming ahead. Paul Hudrick's with us. Doc Rivers said he doesn't expect Embiid to be out long. He's not playing tonight. Uh, but I-, I guess the red flags all of a sudden go up that he's not he's sick, he doesn't have COVID, so people will start to question, is this guy really in shape? What did you see from Joel Wednesday, uh, we're not going to see him tonight. But what do you think is the plan for Joel? Is he going to be load managed a lot? Where do you see Joel and Bede in the early stages of this season? They're definitely going to. There's going to be some type of impl- implementation of uh, of load management. I mean, that's and that's just the reality. I think anymore in the NBA for most star players um, because that's just the way it is, especially especially big men and especially as they get older, it's not going to get any better. And then when you consider Joel Embiid's injury history and all that, you, you, like he's, let, let's, let's put it out there. He's not playing 72 games this year. He's not going to average, you know, 40 minutes a night. That's just that. And he's probably, that's never going to happen. Most likely, especially the older he gets, the more they're probably going to temper things. But yeah, I, I, as far as like how he looked, I thought he looked good. I thought he ran the floor more than I'd seen maybe ever <laughs> from Joel Embiid. Uh, and they've met, and Doc Rivers has mentioned that that in practice, he's look good conditioning wise, and they really want to you know they want to push the tempo, they want to push the pace, and he's run along with the team, which is something he hasn't always done. I mean, we see it all the time where Ben Simmons is a freight train going off the court, and then we see Joel Embiid is the last guy just clearing a half court, and he hit. He takes those trail threes, which he is pretty good at doing. He's pretty good at hitting those. But I, I thought he ran more and looked good from that perspective. And Doc Rivers said that too. That he he wanted that. He wanted to, to suck his lungs out. He said, and you know, he he wanted to see how he would look when he's tired. So uh, overall, I'm more encouraged than anything else from what I saw the other night as far as his his fitness and his health. But yeah, I, I think there is certainly going to be a measure of load management. And they want to, they you know, they they don't want it to be to, to a point where it hurts them in the regular season. But they want to have this guy at full strength entering the playoffs. Doc said something, not in this press conference today, but his past one about having a good sense of the bench unit and knowing about four guys for sure. I would imagine this is the way I read it. Want to get your thoughts? Shake Milton, Dwight Howard, Furkan, Mike Scott, and then a battle between maybe Matisse Thybulle and Maxi for that fifth guy. Did you read it the same way, or did you see uh, like do you think Maxi could beat out Matisse? Because Matisse definitely struggled in in game one. Yeah, I, I read it pretty much the same exact way you did. I, honestly, I I see those four guys as kind of being set at the moment um, that you've already mentioned. And then, you know, Doc said just said to us right right before I hopped on with you guys, he said that Maxie's going to get a look with other rotation players. So he's going to get a look tonight. And maybe, maybe from the onset, maybe, you know, they trust Matisse because he's been here, you know, he's got a year under his belt in the NBA, a little bit older. So maybe they go with Matisse to start. Uh, the season is kind of that tenth guy in the rotation, but Maxi's coming, man. I mean, you saw it. I mean, he, and beyond the fact that I think he is just good, and that I think he's a good enough player to be in an NBA rotation. My goodness, you saw a guy who could dribble a basketball with his face like one on one against another player, 
knows how to use a ball screen, knows how to, you know, pull up and hit a floater over a big, and then also knows how to use that floater to his advantage to then maybe, you know, blow by a big. And I just think that his skill set is something this team is so starved for that I think that could be the advantage if if that scenario is the scenario where Tim versus Matisse for that last rotational spot. As the season goes on, I could see Maxi slipping into that role just because of what I said, because he has that skill set that they just really desperately need and that they don't have. Yeah, I know. Uh, you remember on draft night, what did you ask me the next day? I said, I think I see him starting. I mean, eventually, if it's not right off the bat, but at some point, he just adds them something, Paul. We're talking about James Harden, and I'm not saying he's James Harden, but he adds a skill set that Harden would give them is, a guy who can create his own shot. And now Milton is an interesting guy because maybe Milton, and I heard you talking to the guys on Wednesday saying he's bulked up. Uh, he can finish with both hands and that extra bulk, you know, he can, you know, get to the basket a little better. But really, without really understanding what you have from Milton, you don't have a shot creator on this team. Maybe Maxi gives you that. Yeah, I mean, I would be, I'd be really intrigued by a lineup with those two as kind of like the one and the two. Um, both of them kind of playing off each other. I, I would be really intrigued by that. Because um, here's the thing, the Sixers have never been in a position to have, like, most of the time they barely have one ball handler on the floor to have two guys who are kind of more advanced ball handlers on the floor that you could play point guard to have two guys like that would be huge. And, and I don't think, you know, she can play off the ball. We saw that, actually, he ran a little bit of those kind of Actions that you saw J.J. Redick run where he's running off screens, a couple inbounds plays where he hit like little baseline jumpers. He can do that. He can play off the ball because he's such an excellent shooter. So if you have Maxie kind of running the point and then you have Shake kind of playing off of him, I, I, I think that could be a pretty dynamic lineup. Now, I get they're both young, and, and you don't know 100% how they're going to hold up and how it's going to hold up over the, the course of the season, but I, I could see a very dynamic lineup uh, offensively with Maxie and Shake Milton playing one and two. I would I would be really intrigued to see that. I hope we get to see it tonight. One of the big knocks on last year's team with Brett Brown was the pick-and-roll defense and the big man dropping back, and then when you do a pick-and-roll offensively, you're in that pocket to take that mid-range jumper over and over and over again. What I saw was, you know, it was definitely tighter. The big man was up more, more coverage, more help coverage. What did you see in the pick-and-roll defense in, in their first preseason action? Yeah, I think you nailed it when you said the help. I mean, that, that's what I saw with the biggest thing is, for sure, like you said, like mo, uh, you know, with Joel Embiid, you generally want to drop because he's such a great rim protector and because you don't really want him switching on the guards or, you know, and, and things of that nature. So you, you want him dropping back mostly. But I, I think with this, you know, with, with, with Dan Burke here from, from Indiana and with Doc Rivers here, it, it's clear that the, the pick-and-roll defense is going to be completely different. You saw some growing pains with it, to be sure, but I think overall it's going to be a, a, a better way to defend the pick and roll in today's NBA. And I get so what Brett Brown did, and I can't you can't really knock. It's it's kind of almost like what it's a pick your poison thing with with NBA offenses because with Brett Brown, his goal was I don't want to give up threes. Uh, so that was his goal was, and and they did they did that very well. They were I think the best team in the NBA as far as like giving up the fewest threes in, in the entire NBA last season. That was his goal. With Doc Rivers, that's not necessarily the goal is basically just keep them from scoring in any which way. Um, and, and so, you know, you don't even want to take them long twos because a guy like a Jason Tatum or a Kemba Walker can kill you with, like you said, those mid-range jumpers. They can hit those all day. So you don't want to just give those away. So, yeah, I think you're going to see the centers, you know, more active in, in pick-and-roll coverage way higher up. And I think you're going to see guys help a little bit more 
especially when it's a guy like a Jason Tatum who's so dynamic of a scorer, you're going to see guys kind of cheating off their men a little bit and helping a little bit more just to kind of get the ball out of his hands. And I think that's going to make a difference for the Sixers. Um, and, and I think I think it's overall, I think it's going to be better. Uh, he's Paul Hudrick. He covers the 76ers for 97.3 ESPN.com, uh, the free mobile app. Check out his Coming In for a Landing podcast, of course. Uh, and the uh, Sixers open the season Wednesday night against the Wizards right here on 97.3 ESPN. And tonight at 6, they take on the Indiana Pacers in their final tune-up for that game. And he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. All right, Paul, have a great weekend, man. You as well, guys. Take care. And Paul will be with us all season long, along with Kevin McCormick, Jay Blevins, covering the Sixers. We've got a full team covering the Sixers this year. Looking forward to all their coverage. Follow them on Twitter, at Paul Hudrick. I, I texted you the other day when the preseason game was going on. I was, I was so overwhelmed with all the in-game live coverage from these three. I'm nonstop refresh, refreshing the Twitter feed. Non-stop. Yeah, well, Blevins was, was there and McCormick. They were both at the game the other night. Yeah, it was phenomenal. I loved it. Can't wait for tonight. I might not even watch the game. I might just watch their Twitter feed. Coming up tonight at 6, by the way, no McGinnis tonight. He's back on the TV because uh, um, Zumoff. Zumoff had back surgery. Yes, so McGinnis did. is not on the radio tonight. I lost a little there, a little juice. I mean, Seltzer does a nice job, but he's no McGinnis. Yeah, McGinnis is a Hall of Famer, oh, man. He's man. so great. Uh, this hour brought to you by... Extreme Air Duct Cleaning. Do you really know if the air in your home is clean? As the weather gets colder, the more time is spent indoors. It's important to improve your indoor air quality. You can do it online at ExtremeAirDuckCleaning.com. They're the best. Check them out. All right, when we come back, one thought every game. Casey Joyner next. Hey, South Jersey, this is Billy Schwan. On 97.3 ESPN. All right, don't forget, uh, coming up this weekend, or coming up at 6, I should say, Sixers Pacers, followed by Rutgers Nebraska, right here on 97.3 ESPN. This Rutgers Nebraska game is interesting. They just kind of decided, hey, you want to play a game this weekend? Well, that's what college football is this year. You know, but I think you. Um, Who's the guy who played center for uh, Alabama? Jones. Barrett Jones. Brooke Jones. What's his name? Brett Jones. Whatever. Something Jones. A Jones. Yeah, my buddies in high school used to say, uh, a Jones. Like the most common. That's like my mother's maiden name. Jones. Hey, Jones. Anyway, the guy Jones played for Alabama. He brought it up, though, about how this might have been the coolest season ever. Like, it was just like, hey, you want to play a game this weekend? You're pretty good. We're pretty good. Let's play against each other. Like, instead of playing these, like, you know, Stugatz games, you're like, hey, right. you want to play uh, Sister Marys of the Bleaks? No, we want to play you. Right. Now, I'm with you on that. No doubt about it. But, uh, look, there's a lot of action this weekend, and you can get in on it. College hoops, college football, NFL, NBA, odds and promotion boosts throughout the DraftKings Sportsbook. So what you need to do is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Right now, and use promo code 973. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAM. All right. Uh, many people's favorite segment of the week. We go one thought every game on the NFL. Week 15 plus the Eagles and the Cardinals. We break it down with the very best NFL insider, Casey Joyner, thefootballscientist.com. No one watches more film than Casey, and he joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Casey, how are you, my friend? 
Ah, doing great. I had a fun uh, Thursday night game to watch yesterday, too. That was uh, entertaining. It was. Uh, we had a good one. In fact, um, you know, I, I had actually, uh, I liked the Chargers and the over last night, and I was happily watching that game. I really like that team seems to be in the right direction. I like where they're going. Yeah, they, they do, and Herbert is, uh, he showed. I mean, he's hes not, I, w- I would argue right now that if you, if you took injuries into account and said, okay, certain players are out and such, or like a Roethlisberger's playing as bad as he is, Herbert might be a top-ten quarterback. Yeah, I really like what he brings. I, I always have fun watching him. How about these two quarterbacks, Murray and uh, Hertz? Obviously, both Oklahoma, both guys who like to move a little bit. Uh, what do you see out of these two guys when you watch them? Well, what I'm seeing uh, about Hertz uh, last week, it's for the thing that keeps getting to me about Hertz is that all the players keep saying, uh, "Hey, he's a great leader. He's a great leader. He's a great leader." And I'm sure that he is, but it makes me wonder. Okay, was you guys trying to say Wentz wasn't a great leader? But one of the things that I like about Hertz is his, his willingness to run the ball. One of the things I don't like about Hertz is his willingness to run the ball because there were times in last week's game when it looked like there were zone replays that he should have handed the ball off and he didn't, and because he wanted to show, hey. I can go do this. Hey, I can go do this. The great part about that is if he did hand the ball in some of those plays, there were some big gaps, and I have a feeling that you're going to need to run the ball to beat Arizona. Yeah, now the Eagles running game, 200-yard rushers, obviously the quarterback. But Miles Sanders, what did the addition of Hurts do for Sanders? The addition, well, the thing is, is now that you've got to, you can't just go out all out for Sanders. You've got to protect all the gaps. Now when you're running those zone replays, you can't be – if you try to be too aggressive, you've got a quarterback. I mean, before, if Wentz was trying to run his own replay, I mean, you were, okay, hey, if you take the wrong gap, maybe he runs for 10 yards. That's all. You're not too worried about it. And Hurts, if you run, if you take a gap wrong or you don't, you don't hold your responsibility the right way, he could break off a long gainer, and you got to be really concerned about that. And when you can keep defensive players in their gaps and say you have to mind this gap, you have to be where you're supposed to be, you can't just go all out to pursue. Well, now Sanders, all you have to do is break a tackle, and suddenly you've got a long gainer like he had last week. So I think it opens up a lot of doors for him because you're making the defense honest. All right, uh, when we look at. The weakness here, let's start with the Eagles offensive line. We know that's been a weakness here, but uh, five, uh, eight sacks last week, five from Reddick. So how does that Eagles offensive line, what are they up against this week? They are up against, I mean, Reddick, I had him in an IDP league, and he alone, because he had five, he had three forced fumbles, too. I mean, the guy was insane last week. Uh, he, he alone almost kept the fantasy team in, in contention. You don't want to be throwing the ball against these guys. I think the Eagles need to say, we've got Hurts. We've got Sanders, and we've got Boston Scott, who has shown a lot of ability. He's one of the, he's, got, he's got some of the best vision in the league. He doesn't get to use it that often, but he's a tremendous at playing off of blocks. If a block goes away that he doesn't expect it to go or it's not supposed to go, he's very good at adjusting. You've got three backs where you could split up the 30 carries. If I'm the Eagles, I want a power run of this defense so I don't have to worry about Hassan Reddick going in there and, hit, and getting five more sacks. Yeah, and I know uh, if you throw the ball – um, you know, the Cardinals are a little better in that area, but is there, uh, you know, you got Ertz, hasn't done much this year, you got Goddard, is this a game where the tight ends could be involved? They could, but I'm looking at Patrick Peterson. Uh, Patrick Peterson is allowing 8.8 yards per attempt this year for pro football reference, and he's had, I believe it's four games where he's allowed a double-digit yards per attempt total. As a cornerback, you don't ever want to have a double-digit yards per attempt total. That's the number you want to avoid. He's just not what he used to be. If you look at the matchups, he would probably go up against Rager, but he's a guy that I might test and say, do you still have it? Because I think you can beat him over the top. I don't necessarily like testing uh, their strong safety 
uh, Jalen Thompson, although he was banged up last week, and they may have to put Chris Banjo in there, and he's not as good at covering. So if that's the case and they end up having to go with Banjo, I didn't see the latest injury report for them. It wasn't out when I last checked. But if he's in there and that was the case, then that might be then that might be time to go for Hurts. All right, uh, Eagles defense really banged up in the secondary. That doesn't seem to be good against this Cardinals team. Uh, definitely not good against the Cardinals. Uh, but I, but the thing is, is that I mean they've got Fitz. He's an old receiver. They've got Kirk. Kirk was a great vertical threat earlier this year, but I think they ran too much of the offense through him early on. He's not a guy who you can throw a hundred targets to over course of a year. I think he wears down. So really, they are a nuke, and that's it. It's bad because you may have you may have Seymour. You could have uh, if Slay's healthy. I don't know who you have go against Hopkins. You probably have Slay Trump following around, so you're gonna you know have that matchup there. But that's really about the only one you have to be concerned about because the other receivers are just not playing up well for Arizona right now, and that's why their passing game is struggling. And we know that Murray is a really threat in the run game. But what's the rest of the run game look like? Uh, I'm, the rest of the run game is good, but Drake. He's a guy who they've tried to make him the, the they they wore him down basically. I just there was that was a concern coming into the season is is he a guy that you can funnel your offense through in the running game and you just can't do that. And Edmonds is good, but he doesn't have the same sort of breakaway ability. And I think right now that Drake is not the same dangerous running back that he was earlier this year. I just don't think he has quite the breakaway skill. So I think that helps the Eagles and. I think a lot of teams have figured out how to. There's been a blueprint now about how to approach this Arizona offense. It's not the, the, the it's not the kind of strange scheme that it was when uh, Kingsbury first got there. So I think they'll be able to do a lot of one gapping and be able to get after uh, backs in a way they couldn't earlier. All right, NFL insider Casey Joyner, thefootballscientist.com. It's time to look at one thought on every game this week. Got a couple of games on the Saturday slate as well. Uh, a couple games tomorrow, and then, of course, uh, the Saturday slate and a full Sunday slate. So let's take a look at one thought. Every game starting in Denver, where the Broncos take on Buffalo. Now, obviously, Buffalo uh, looks like a playoff team here. Denver, though, tricky at home. They are. Bills are one of the most complete teams in the NFL right now. They scored 26 points in the last five games, allowed just under 19 points per game in the last three Take out the Arizona match of Week 10. Their rush defense only gave up 66.5 yards per game over the past four contests. They also racked up two or more turnovers on eight occasions. They got Buffalo big in this one. Okay, the other game, uh, the late game, is Green Bay at home. Now, Green Bay has a lot to play for here because home field this year is a uh, one team gets it. They have it right now, and they're going up against a Carolina team that likes to give up points. Yeah, they do like to give up points. Uh, the thing is, the Packers, they might have the most complete offense in the NFL right now. Past three games, they get 102 points, 451 rushing yards, 1,240 total yards, zero giveaways. You take away the Week 11 game against Detroit's injury act offense, and Carolina's allowing over 400 yards and 32 points per game in the last seven contests. Love Green Bay in this one. All right, let's look at the Sunday slate here. And, of course, uh, a lot of meaningful games here. Tampa Bay at Atlanta. I guess Atlanta's like still uh, got a slim shot, but... Tampa Bay trying to improve its playoff positioning. Yeah, I like Tampa Bay. And the, the bye week couldn't have come at a better time for their defense. Tampa Bay allowed its third lowest point total and third lowest net passing yards total against Minnesota. Despite based on getting Minnesota's good offense, their offense also benefited. They got their second game 100-plus yards. They're not going to have Jones, but Fournette's going to probably have a good game. And Atlanta's offense has just been terrible since Julio got hurt. I'll take Tampa. Okay, San Francisco. By the way, Atlanta, I'm, I'm wrong. They are eliminated. It's San Francisco. Uh, who has a slim wild card chance? They are five and eight. They take on Dallas. So if San Francisco uh, was to win out, they would have a slim possibility. But Dallas as well. I guess that uh, Dallas still involved in the East at all. 
I yeah, I guess. I mean, it's going to take the other team's faltering for them to do that. But uh, the Niners, they got in trouble. The Niners, the Niners go as their ground game goes. Their ground game started to get healthy, but they posted fewer than 100 rushing yards in four of the past six contests because of the running back injuries. Cowboys rush defense allowed 702 rushing yards over the past four games. Problem for San Francisco is they posted two or more giveaways in seven straight games. I think they'll post two or more in this game, and that'll be enough for Dallas. One thought every game. Tennessee needs this one. They're going to probably make the playoffs, but division up for grabs against Detroit. Yeah, uh, there are a few running backs bring to mind. Uh, Earl Campbell, obviously, Derrick Henry is one of those. They've racked up 150 more rushing yards in four of the past five weeks. They put up 30 points in 420, uh, 420 offensive yards in four straight games. The Lions have allowed 102 points and 337 rushing yards over the past three games. They're going to try and go uh, pass heavy in their offense. It's not going to be enough. Tennessee right. gets it. All right. Uh, Indy, they are tied for the top spot, but right now Tennessee has it. But Indy is right there with them. They play the Houston Texans, who are eliminated. Yeah, and the problem for Houston, I mean, the Colts, the Houston's got all kinds of problems on both sides of the ball. Colts won six of their past day. The true key to their success is avoiding turnovers. The Indy gets one or fewer giveaways this year. They're 7-1. They have two or more giveaways. They're 2-3. and three. Houston's only given they had two games or had three games where they've had two or more takeaways. So they're not going to get takeaways. Indy gets this one. One thought, every game. Miami is still in the division mix. Long shot there, but they need this game against New England to get that wild card spot. They do. The big thing for New England, how, how they got turned around, is they had 15 giveaways, and they started off 2-5. and five. They've only had three giveaways in their last six, where they've won four out of six. The bad news is they're going against Miami, which you know, Miami forced Mahomes into three interceptions for only the second time in his career. That's one of the most creative defenses in the league. The Dolphins have also allowed fewer than 100 rushing yards in four of the past five weeks. Pats won't run the ball. Miami wins. Uh, by the way, Miami's two back with three to play, so if they want a shot at the division, they have to have this one. Chicago and Minnesota, the winner of this stays in the wild card mix. <laughs> Amazing to think where these teams have been that that's still the case. Uh, Chicago's got 91 points scored over the past three weeks. They're part of it through the quarterback change, but also their vastly improved ground attack, 430 rushing yards over the past three games. Minnesota's allowed 100 more rushing yards in all but three games this year, but the Vikings also have a powerful rushing attack. And plus, they still have a better option. They have a better passing game overall with, with Jefferson and Thielen. So I go to Minnesota. All right, locally, uh, this NFC East is still up for grabs, and Washington leads it. They're hosting Seattle. Haskins will be at quarterback. Haskins will be a quarterback, uh, and the thing for Washington is, as, as bad as that might be for them, defense has been the key to their success. I mean, they, they've turned around after five of the last seven and could have won the other two games. They've allowed 13 points per game over the past month, and they've given they have eight takeaways in that span. Seattle's playing a more close-to-the-best game to protect their defense. I think this is a big toss-up game. I, I, I've only got a confidence level of one for Washington. Wow. I think it goes either way. Uh, believe it or not, if the playoffs were to start today, Baltimore would be out. They've got a nice matchup, though, against 1-12 Jacksonville. Uh, we feel good about the Ravens in this spot, I would imagine. Yeah, we definitely do. Uh, I mean, they've been, uh, they were, their running game is what's giving their turnaround because they've had 525 rushing yards and seven rushing touchdowns over the past two games. Jacksonville's rush defense has given up 601 rushing yards over the past three games. It's in Baltimore. I love the Ravens in this one. All right. We get to New York. Hasn't won a game yet. they got to travel to L.A. to take on the Rams. Big one for the Rams here. Obviously, uh, they are the leaders in the West, but they need this to hold off Seattle, and the Jets uh, looks like they are going to go to 0-14. 
Uh, just that the Jets had scored 27 or more points in three of the past four games prior to last week. But that last and last week, look at a team that just gave up. They they've thrown the towel in their season. The Rams have won four of the last five. Their defense has allowed 251 or fewer offensive yards in three of the past four games. They got 15 takeaways in the past seven contests. I think they crushed the Jets just like Seattle did. All right, the KC New Orleans breeze is back. The Saints need this one. They're at home, but they're a home dog. Yeah, they are. And the thing is, is Taysom Hill did a good job filling in for Breeze, but New Orleans has scored more than 24 points only one time in the past four weeks. They better hope that Breeze is healthy because I still wonder if, the, if those ribs are going to be bothering him. I mean, you break 11 ribs, I think it still could be a problem. And the thing is, is I mean, the, the Chiefs last week, they give up, they have four take four giveaways, three sacks, only get 94 rushing yards, had two three and out drives, and they still score 33 points from rack up over 400 offensive yards. I think they could do things in offense so the Saints count and take the Chiefs. Big one in the NFC East. Cleveland takes on New York. Cleveland has not clinched yet. They gotta be feeling pretty good, and the Giants need a win in the NFC East race. They do. The, uh, the Cleveland offense is doing fantastic. 110 points, 1,410 offensive yards over the past three weeks. And they've got one of the least talented groups of wide receivers in the NFL. And to be able to do that is fantastic. It speaks well to the running game. The Giants' offense had been playing better, but they scored 43. Uh, they, you know, they posted 43 points over the past few weeks. They, they're, they're the worst offense showing last week against the Cardinals. I think the Cleveland offense just gives them a huge edge. I'll take them. Uh, Monday, Casey's back. It's Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. He'll give you one thought on every game on Monday. Uh, but before we let you roll, it is Philadelphia, Arizona. The Eagles looking to win two in a row. A win for them keeps them involved in the NFC East race. I think the general consensus is Arizona is going to win this game, and I think most of you have against a road contest or for the Eagles, it's a cross-country road contest. And after what Arizona did last week, I think it's going to be a lot closer than most people think. I think this is almost a toss-up game because the Eagles will be able to power on the ball, and Arizona does not deal well with it. I still don't trust their ability to do that. But the Eagles aren't run-blocking quite well enough, in my estimation. I'm looking at tape. I'm still seeing too many weaknesses. Add a couple things in Arizona's passing game, and I give them the edge, but only by a small amount. All right, there you go. One thought every game. Casey's back on Monday to break down the Week 15 action and, of course, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Another great uh, conversation, Casey. We look forward to it, as always, and have a great football weekend. Thank you, Mike. All right, there he goes, the uh, footballscientist.com, at KC Joiner TFS. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow, phenomenal football conversation. One thought, every game here on the Sports Bash. You know, I don't know if you guys did who's in, who's out, and you're fine five, ugly five. Oh, man. We did not. We just got into such great conversation and went into depth. All I kept thinking of all week was my fine five, my ugly five, and my who's in and who's out, how difficult it would be right now. I mean, so many games this week have meaning with those last couple playoff spots. You have in the NFC, Arizona 7-6. and six. They have it right now. If Minnesota wins, one of Minnesota Chicago is going to win this week. They're going to get to seven and seven. One of those two teams. If Arizona loses, you got seven and seven, seven and seven, and depending on what happens with San Francisco, if they beat Dallas, San Francisco would then be six and eight. So they're only one game back with two to play in that wild card spot. And if Philly was to win, they'd be five, eight, and one. 
The wild card door would be open ever so slightly for them. It's unbelievable. The Cardinals, by the way, play the 49ers and the Rams after the Eagles. So, not the easiest. You know, the 49ers, they're so bagged up and depleted, but they still sometimes hang around. Uh, AFC. Dal uh, Miami's 8-5. and five. They are in right now. Baltimore's 8-5. and five. The Raiders are 7-7. Seven and seven. New England is 6-7. and seven. And New England know. beats Miami. They would be 7-7. Seven and seven. Miami would fall to 8-6. and six. Now, Baltimore is likely going to win this week, get to themselves to 9-5. and five. I was going to say, you don't know with the Raiders what's happening with Derek Carr either. Last night, they had to go to Marcus Mariota. No, he's, out. he's out two weeks, it looks like. Okay, so that, okay. So. I just saw that today. He's out about two weeks, it looks That's like. That's significant for this playoff push. No question. You lose your quarterback with two weeks left to go in the year. That AFC is wild. You got one, two, three... Four teams still involved for the one spot. It's exciting. The NFC, I would think Tampa's pretty safe, even if they lose this week. They got eight wins right now. I would agree. I would agree. Although, if they lost this week and fell to eight and six, and then you had Minnesota seven and seven or Chicago seven and seven, uh, you have one game up with two to go. Whew, this is getting close. Ugly five, man. Jets and Jacksonville are awful. Cincinnati, awful. Those are my top three. Then after that, it's hard to find a four and five. Do you still throw Dallas in there just because of how ugly it was at one point? They've played better. They did. They did. They got a quarterback, you know, you instead believe, of Ben DiNucci. Can you believe Carolina's the worst team in the NFC? They're statistically ranked 16th just based on winning percentage and every tiebreaker and yada, yada. Carolina, do they feel like the worst team? Not really, no. They had that nice spurt of, you know, putting yeah. together some things. They, they had time balls. I think I had Carolina in. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know what? At the time, it was the right move. I think the five worst teams are all in the the AFC. Jets, Jacksonville, Cincinnati, Houston. Uh, are the Chargers worse than Carolina? That's an interesting question because the Chargers have been involved. They just have a tough time finishing games, although last night, Insanity. Maybe Dallas. Maybe Philly. I was going to say, are we overlooking the team here in this area? No, I got to go. Area? I got to go. All right. My ugly five would be Jets, Jacksonville, Cincinnati, Houston, NFC East. <laughs> the whole division. That's what I did the one week. I couldn't decide. Although the NFC East has been better. It has been better. Over a, a recent stretch, they put together wins. My, Unbelievable. My fine five, I got to go Kansas City. Is Pittsburgh out? Tough. All right, we got to do the five coming up. Sports Bash, take a break. Get the five in. Give our picks for the Eagles cards. It's Sixers basketball tonight on 97.3 ESPN with the voice of the 76ers, Tom McGinnis, calling all. All right, the five questions. Get ready to wrap up the show. Don't forget this hour of the show. It is brought to you by our friends at Extreme Air Duct Cleaning. Visit them online at ExtremeAirDuckCleaning.com. So how do you feel? feel pretty good, actually. So do I. I know what's going to happen. So do I. Going to win the football game. Probably. This is what happens in the Carson Wentz era. You know, because I'm off all next week and... I'm only working one more day the rest of the year, and all these games are going to – because, like, the whole thing was like, ah, they're done. I'm out of here. 
These games are going to mean something. Well, you know, I'm going to be chomping at the bed to want to discuss. You should just come into work because you love it that much. Yeah, Maybe. you know, you, you don't have to actually take your time off. I'm sure you'd love to do that. All right, you want to get in the five? It was done. Okay. Who gets more rushing yards, Hertz or Kyler Murray? Um, now, for some context on DraftKings. I go probably, I probably go Murray. Okay. On DraftKings, Hertz has 57.5 as the over-under, Murray 48.5. So they are thinking maybe Hertz a little bit more, but okay, we'll go Murray. I, I mean, both these teams are two flip. of the worst teams in the league at stopping the run against quarterbacks. Right. Yeah, you're right. It, it's a coin flip for sure. All right, will Alshon Jeffrey catch at least two passes? Sure, why not? I'm not like an anti-Jeffrey guy. People hate this guy's face. I just, the body language bothers me. That's all. I, I just, just sense see, a it's body like language a, thing. I, I feel like his body language is just one of those guys that, like, his body language wasn't much different. He's a nonchalant were, guy. Yeah. It just looks that way. Yeah, That's he's fair. always been very timid, very quiet, very shy. Will Hargrave record at least one sack? He's been on a nice little stretch. I'll let a half sack count as part of this. He could get in there, yeah. Okay. Uh, will Jake Elliott miss any type no, of kick? No. He won't miss any? No. Ooh. I'm not like an anti-Elliott guy. Well, he's just had a, he's just had a He's had a tough year. Will DeAndre Hopkins have over 100 yards receiving? Yes. Now, in this answer, do you anticipate Slay being there or not? I do. Okay. I do. By the way, Eagles 28-24. I have 24-21. Eagles. Wow. Yep. You going, Bert? This is the Carson Wentz era. This is how it goes. Yep, I feel the same way. 28-24. I'm out all next week. The guys will get you. We got Sixers up next. Have a great Christmas, everybody. I'll be back uh, on the 28th.